Hi, friends. Welcome to I Used to Be a Therapist. I am so glad you're here. This is our second episode on joy, and I'm really excited about it. We've been talking about joy, what it is and what it is not, right? So make sure you go back and listen to the episode with Tom Glasser on joy. It was so good, too. And the bonus episode on the oil blend joy. I give some insights that I have on joy and talk a little bit about grieving and joy, which seems kind of like opposites, but they're not always. Anyway, I talk about that. I hope you take time to go listen to that. But today, I can hardly wait. I get to share the conversation I had about joy with therapist and parent coach, Dr. Christy Ritz-King. Christy is a trauma therapist, meditation teacher, yogi, wife, and mom. She is a firm believer that it is never too late to be the person you want to grow up to be. I like that. Her coaching practice is called Reinvention Family. I really like that name. And she is the podcast host of a much needed podcast called Conversations with Christy. Today, I get to share our conversation about joy. I know you're going to love her insights and the practical things she shares to help us cultivate joy in our lives. I'm excited to share a conversation with you. I know it's going to add value to your day. Let's listen in. My name is Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Leaving my career as a therapist, business owner, and counselor educator was a big risk. But now, as an author, coach, entrepreneur, and podcast host, I am fulfilling my passion to help people move forward toward an essentially better life. Each episode is filled with stories, information, and ideas that I know will be valuable to your life and to the lives you touch. So if you need a therapist, or just someone who used to be a therapist, I know that this is a place that you will feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Christy, so much for being here. I'm excited to have you. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be fun. You have a podcast. I and do. yes. And so you're a podcast host, and but I'm just super happy that we're like doing this together here. This will be fun. We're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about yes. joy today. Joy, finding joy, even when you're not happy, right? Yep. Yeah. So exactly. I'm excited to talk about that. But before we get going, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, your family, all the things. Sure. Sure. I am. So I'm Christy Ritz King. I live in a town called Red Bank, New Jersey. It's about an hour outside of New York City and six miles from the ocean. So it's kind of a beach town, but not really. Nice. (laughs) Uh, It's nice. It's a year-round beach town. Um, And I have three teenagers now. I I always say three kids, but I think it's important to tell people I have three teenagers. Because when you're talking about joy, (laughs) right? that's important. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I live here with them and my husband and two dogs and a cat. So we're a little a little menagerie of pets in our house. Um, and I have a private practice in, you know, a town, a neighboring town where I work mostly with, I, I started as a trauma therapist. That was kind of my gig everywhere I ever worked. I was either in level one hospital or I worked for a domestic violence as a court advocate. I worked for a domestic violence shelter as a court advocate. I worked for, um, 
in a group practice that was heavily mind-body trauma oriented. And then when I struck it on my own, I, while still a trauma therapist, have kind of attracted moms Uh (laughs) and really parents, not just moms, but parents who through parenting kind of have the trauma revealed, whether they think they had it or not, you know, they start to see, oh, these are some patterns I don't want to keep repeating. And so let's dig into that a little bit. That happens. And I love the way that you said that that your clients are attracted to you, like the the, the people that you're attracting. And that's really true. Isn't that true in in practice? How, how all of a sudden you just become the person to go to for a specific thing, even if you're not out there soliciting it. Right. Right. And I I did my doctoral work in postpartum, um, like postpartum depression and, and effective interventions. But what I found in that work was that empowering parents, specifically moms, but really both empowering parents was the most successful of interventions. And so that's kind of the tack I take with therapy too, is, you know, education and, uh, and psych, you know, psychoed and helping them understand sort of what's going on gives a person that much more control over how they choose to, to go forward. So I think I attracted, yeah, I think I did. I attracted moms because of that outlook. Yeah, that's so true. And it, And that kind of work is so, so needed and really effective in changing actually families and generations. Mm-hmm. It's it's a yeah. very um, noble and much needed work. So great. Yeah. I'm so glad you're doing that. Okay. Well, this season, I am asking all of my guests who are all therapists why they became a counselor. Why did you become a therapist? I'd love to hear that. Sure. Uh, so I, mine is later in life story. I was a teacher actually for 12 years. I got a master's in education. I was a reading specialist in public schools. And then I uh, left to stay home with my second of three children. After my second, it became cost-effective to stay home rather right. than go back to the job. And then, um, and even while I was a teacher, i, I I wanted to do more. Actually, when I got my master's in education, I originally was going to go back and get school counseling, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to be tied to a school. And I worked in a place where they paid a decent amount for my master's. So it had to be within the education realm, right? which is why I didn't get counseling then. But I actually think it was for the best because then I did all this living after that. And Mm -hmm. by the time I decided to go back to graduate school again, we actually had, um, I don't know if you remember Hurricane, well, Superstorm Sandy hit the Jersey coast. Yes. And I I had just, we had just moved here like two years before from a suburb of Washington, D.C. And so I was still kind of, you know, figuring out my hometown and we got hit by this massive storm. And I, uh, my kids were all in school. And so I spent some time volunteering over in the towns, uh, town right near me called Seabright, helping just with whatever, you know, helping. I took... One of the important parts of it for me was that I went and kind of took an oral history of some of the people that were there, finding out what, how long they'd lived there, what they needed, that kind of thing. Sure. And I came away from that uh, wanting to work with the people who had not survived it, but who had been the workers. I thought, who's taking care of these people after this is all over? Mm-hmm. You know, that we're all very concerned about the people, as we should have been, all very concerned about the people who lost their homes and were rebuilding. But there were all these volunteers there. And I thought, who's taking care of their mental health? Because they're really experiencing some major 
stuff too. And and they're just going to go back to their regular lives wherever, because we had people from all over the country come in. Sure. So that was kind of what started me. And I went back and did, did a counseling master's specializing in crisis and trauma, and then had all those little jobs I told you about before and just kept going for my doctoral degree because I thought if I stop, I'm never going to go back. Sure. <laughs> so I just kept going and I ended up with a PsyD in maternal mental health, you know, with a maternal mental health focus. So as I was working, even though I started in crisis and trauma, things kind of changed in my work. Even the domestic violence shelter, I think was the, the sticking point because most of my clients were parents. And so yes. seeing them try to navigate that role, even with rebuilding their sense of self was a really powerful thing. So I, you know, that's why I keep doing what I do. I got into it because of this experience with, you know, firsthand crisis and trauma and I've stuck with it because I just want moms to feel good. <laughs> yeah. Find joy, right? Yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the darkest of times. So, so. I, I've been asking this question of lots of people that I've been interviewing. Do you feel like you are fulfilling your why now? Like the why you became a counselor? Do you feel like you're fulfilling that now? It's funny. I feel like I feel like if I had seen myself now six or seven years ago, I would have said no, because I thought, you know, I was going to volunteer for the Red Cross and go sure. into these sites and be there with the people and, or work with first responders or work, you know, something of that nature. And that never panned out. But I feel like my career has gone, you know, as much as I said, the clients are attracted to me. I feel like my career has led me exactly where I'm supposed to be. Right. So yeah, I do feel like working with parents I started working with kids. That's how I got this way because they, you know, at sure. the agency that I was in, they were like, okay, you have, you have background with children. Go, you're in. <laughs> you're yeah, the, you're congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I realized that what my heart really loved and what neat, what was needed was working with their parents. And so that's how I kind of got where I got. So yeah, I do feel like this is what I was meant for. Whether I started out thinking that or not is different, but yeah. I do feel like that. Now. So like maybe you found your why. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, yeah. let's jump in and talk about joy. I would love for you to define what you think joy is and what it isn't. Yeah. So I love this question because one of the things I, I, I like to say about joy is that it shouldn't be defined for us. It needs to be something we figure out for ourselves, what we feel, what it is that makes us feel that way. So for me personally, I would define joy as a feeling of peace mm -hmm. and just knowing that you're where you're supposed to be or that in that moment is exactly what you're supposed to be doing, that kind of solid grounding, mm -hmm. peaceful thing. It's not the same for everybody. You know, I, mm -hmm. I know and I know we we all spend a lot of time. I spent way too much time chasing what I thought was going to bring me joy rather than really paying attention to find out what did bring me joy. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's my, my counseling practice is called wonder Inc wellness, which is, I think kind of catches people off guard when I say I'm a trauma therapist and they go to this website that's very bright and sunny and, you know, right. full of yellows and blues and things like that. And people are like, huh, this isn't, you know, what, what I would think from a trauma therapist, but my, real passion is helping people see that they can experience joy, that they can find joy, even when life is really heavy and dark. Mm -hmm. So I think there, the definition really has to be your own. 
that's so true. I mean, our our own experience of how we how we experience individually joy in our lives yeah. is is very unique, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people don't know. I mean, when I ask that question to my clients, you know, what makes you happy? What brings you joy? I don't know what the actual percentage is, but a very high percentage of them sort of stare back at me and go, I I I honestly don't know. I can't name that for you. Yeah. Sometimes and I think it yeah. Sometimes it takes intentional focus on that yes. to figure it out, right? Like yeah. even to yeah. know that we're feeling it sometimes. Yes, exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, yeah. I I'd love to hear how how you might differentiate joy and happy. So for me, joy is is a a deeper felt sense. You know, happy, I think happy's fleeting to me. Mm. Joy is something that even if it doesn't last forever, it it cha- it, it changes you for the better. Mm. If that makes sense. Uh-huh. So, you know, happy like a Big Mac makes makes me sure, happy. Me too. <laughs> But it doesn't bring me great joy because I know ultimately after it's off my lips, it's not going to bring me happiness. No, it's not going to bring you joy. But, you know, things that are that are fleeting can also be joyful, but it's just a difference in how deeply felt is it? Is it something that you kind of keep with you and can recall when you need it? So happy is kind of in the moment, light, not as deep. But joy is something that's deeper felt inside you rather yeah. than just outside necessarily or yeah, that, or is a that kind of a moment or something that yeah. you don't sort of integrate whole mind body. You know, it's something you, you might know, you know, you might laugh, uh-huh. but are you, you know, really feeling that that joy? Mm. And I think also we we talked about a little bit about intentionality, like intentionally experiencing joy or intentionally noticing when you're experiencing joy, it seems to be a longer felt experience maybe. Yeah. And I sort of feel like if you're intentionally looking for or noticing happiness, that's sort of when it flips over to joy. Uh You know, happiness is this kind of nebulous word. It's like nice, you know, it's this word we use a lot, but I don't know that anybody could tell you what what is happiness? Yeah. Whereas when you ask somebody what brings you joy, they know like, oh, I gotta, I gotta pay it. Like, I have to pay real attention to that. That's something bigger than just, oh, that makes me happy. Yeah. You know, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, why do you think it's important for our mental health, our emotional wellness, even our emotional ability to regulate our emotions? Right. Why do you yeah. think it's important for our mental health to work on cultivating? that sense of joy in our life? I think there's a couple reasons you, you touched on one when you talked about intentionality, I think in order to cultivate joy, you have to be intentional about things. You have to be mindful. I uh-huh. think words bandied about a lot lately, but I really think it's important. You have to be sort of in the moment and feeling things and, yes. you know, paying attention in order to cultivate joy. And those are all skills that help with everything you just mentioned, you know, emotional regulation and, uh, and, and just being able to shift your mindset. You know, there's lots of talk of mindset shifting and being able to focus, especially now. I mean, you could certainly get lost in this world currently in all of the things that are negative out there. Absolutely. And even if you're having to live them, you can, you know, shift your gaze to, to give yourself some light. I, I think of, you know, sometimes people in the worst circumstances 
are able to see the light and feel the joy and it helps them with those circumstances. Mm -hmm. So I think mental health is just, it's nothing but buoyed by a sense of, of intentional joy. Sure. How do you see it impact? We, you talked a little bit about this, but I want you to talk more about how you see it impact our lives when people don't have that sense of joy or, or aren't aware even maybe they have it somewhere there, but they're not aware of it. How does that impact our lives? Well, I think that's part of it is the awareness. I think when you're only focused on what is negative or hard or bad or painful, you know, what's the, I I don't remember the famous quote about pain being inevitable and suffering being the choice. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not aware of how you even can feel joy, you know, what is it that, A, what is it that it feels like? Mm -hmm. You know, for some people it's been so long, they can't even identify what it feels like. And for for listeners, I keep pointing to my body when I'm talking about this, because I really believe we talk about feelings as if they're totally emotional and cognitive, but really I believe that there is a, and, and so do many other people, that there's a real physical nature to how you feel. So, you know, I think identifying first how you feel when you feel joy, yeah. what is, what's going on in your body, what's going on in your, in your mind at that time is important for the next step, which is then being able to cultivate it in your life. If you don't know how you want to feel, what are you going to, you can't do the next part, which is get the things that, you know, surround yourself with things that make you feel that way. Right. And even being aware of where you feel it in your body. Yeah. And then when you feel that to pay attention to that, that is, it's a skill that people often have to learn or relearn, right? Like maybe they've, they could do that at one point in their life, but because of all the circumstances that have happened, they've just lost the ability to focus on anything good and yeah beautiful or you know? or at some point maybe anything you know it's such a sure. protective mechanism to keep ourselves from feeling if everything feels bad you know i think of my you know my clients that are abuse survivors they just stop feeling anything sure. because they they've protected themselves in those moments but now there's this sense of well if i let myself feel anything i'm not going to have any control anymore and so it's a real it has to be kind of a gentle process to get back into tuning into yourself and your body and how you feel. Yeah, and I think we often need to be reminded and because m- many many people know this, but we need to be reminded that when we shut off those feelings that are hard to feel, we also shut off the feelings that are good to feel. Yeah. We can't yeah. shut off one end and not the other. And so yeah. you're you're really that's really right. So what have you found that's helpful for both you and your clients to cultivate joy in your life? Yeah. So I think a lot of what I use with my clients started with me. (laughs) Um, It's kind of tried and true, I guess. Absolutely. And and then reading everything I could on it and learning from, you know, the professionals that, that created it and all of that stuff. But for me specifically, tuning in. And, and I, again, I hate to, I hesitate to use mindfulness or meditation because people have a very narrow, I think, understanding of what that is, but, but that is what it is. Mindfulness, sort of daily mindfulness, daily meditation, intentionality Yes, is important for me because it helps me slow down and pay attention. Mm-hmm. So I don't have, you know, I have a sporadic at best meditation practice but I do have a daily sort of ritual of, you know, tuning in and seeing how I feel and seeing, and also what, what that has led to for me is a, 
an intentional focus during things that are good. You know, I will take in the moment when things are really good or, you know, lately in all of this pandemic stuff, being being surrounded by three teenagers who are, are doing okay. You know, they, they don't love being home and they don't right. love that they're with me all the time, but they don't hate it either. And so I understand the richness of that and yeah. I'm able to take those moments in and really, really soak them into my whole being of, look, I get this time with these kids. So even though there's a hundred thousand other things that are going wrong, <laughs> These moments are really, you know, they're, they're filling me up so that I can get through the rest of the stuff. And I do that same work with my clients. First, we have to start by sort of gently tuning in and identifying even what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And then we sort of slowly go through the process of, okay, what can you remember bringing you joy? You know, when do you remember? And sometimes it's like when I was four, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they have to go way, way back, but other times they start to notice, oh, there are things in my day-to-day life that I'm cruising right past because they're not hard and I'm only focusing on what's hard right now. Right. And so, you know, it's a, it's a process, but it's one that usually leads to more, um, more awareness. And it starts with that tuning into yourself first. So what is like kind of a tangible thing? Is there an exercise that you give or specific uh, intervention, you know, that you do that somebody could take away from here and do today to start cultivating joy? Yeah, I, I love to associate like body scan meditation, uh-huh. but very light body scan meditation with brushing your teeth. <laughs> so you don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to get into any kind of thing, any kind of, you know, spiritual place. But when you're in your front of your mirror, brushing your teeth, because everybody does it every morning, no matter what. Right. I mean, pretty universally. Take, take a minute, really. And just starting at the top of your head and going down to your toes, checking in with yourself. Where do I feel there? What do I feel here? Am I tightening? Am I clenching? Am I, you know, whatever as a start, because once you start that process, then you start to get used to checking in with yourself. (laughs) And, And so usually I tell everybody that start with that, you know, every morning when you're brushing your teeth, just check in with your body. And then their sort of homework when I have sessions is come back to me with a time this week that, that was joyful that you felt good. And I don't, I don't even ask them how they felt. I just say like, notice, try to notice this week what's good. And then once we get to that step, then the next step is, okay, now see if you can notice how you're feeling during those moments. So if it's, you know, dinner with their kid or, um, or sometimes it's like lunch or they go for now, people are taking a lot more walks with their family or they're doing things that, you know, are kind of bonding that they didn't have time for before. But even before the pandemic, I would have parents be like, you know, I didn't realize how much I actually loved the conversations in the car. You know, they would complain and complain and complain about driving, you know, your taxi driver when you have more than one kid. And they didn't realize in all that taxiing, they were actually spending really good quality time with their kid. So it's, it starts with sort of paying attention to you and then looking at your life and saying like, oh, I I actually don't feel terrible right now. What's going on? Right. (laughs) And I might feel terrible in 20 minutes, but right, right, exactly. right now I feel okay. I feel yep. good or I feel happy or I feel at peace or whatever right. that is. And I might not later, but I do right now. I think that exactly. is, that is such a key thing. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. Is there, hmm. there's so much to talk about, <laughs> so much. right? There's so much to talk about joy. And I love the idea of standing in front of your 
your mirror, your sink, and just focusing on what's happening in your body and not judging it, right? Just noticing it, just noticing it. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's a great tool and something real tangible that we can all do. I'm going to try that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, and and that's my favorite thing about meditation is the lack of judgment because we may be tuning in all day long, but we're usually complaining or we're mad at ourselves or we're mad at someone else. So we're, you know, there's always an emotion tied to it, which this is just, no, just what's happening period. What do you notice? I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Is there anything else that you want to share about joy before we move on? I think just that you can find it even when everything else feels like it's impossible. I I mean, I always go back to my story, which is, you know, my first child I had really um, undiagnosed, but now looking back on it, pretty bad postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, she and I were sort of the stereotypical bad nursing story (laughs) where she wasn't very good at latching. I wasn't, I was super anxious and stressed. So nothing went right. Anyway, I had one evening, I kept plugging away at it. And I had one evening after work where I was sitting with her in her little rocker in her little room. And I think she had fallen asleep as she was apt to do while nursing. And so she'd fallen off and rather than spinning into the, oh no, she didn't eat enough. What if she wakes up? What if this happens? And I won't be, and I'll be late for work. You know, the typical Uh sort of what I normally would do, which is she should be eating more. She shouldn't have fallen asleep. I shouldn't have done it this way. I did everything wrong. Instead, I had a moment and I I think it was divinely inspired because this was, you know, not in my realm at that time. I wasn't very mindful at that time, but I had this moment of just pure bliss of this little perfect person. You know, she still had the like O-shaped lips from coming off (laughs) and totally asleep. I had nowhere to be, you know, we were just there. We had been, I had gotten home from work. So I'm sure I had to cook dinner, but I wasn't letting that get in my head in the moment. I was just really enjoying this peaceful sort of snuggling and bonding time with her. And I had this moment of thinking, oh, this is what everybody's talking about. This is how you're supposed, like, physically, this is how it's supposed to feel to have a baby, (laughs) you know, Uh, which quote quote unquote supposed to feel, but you know, everybody talks about the warmth and the the love and you just feel the love inside you. And I had not experienced that up until that point. It was mostly just stress and sadness. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment with her where I thought, oh, this feels really good. Like, how do I keep doing this? And so then it became a ritual where she and I did that feed in the dark room in the, you know, in the, in the, rocker uh-huh. with, and, and I just took the night as it went. And for the next probably month or two, we had this just beautiful time together. And that has really, that changed me for the rest of my life to notice those moments, to realize yeah. that like, you're right. As you said, 20 minutes from now, I might feel terrible right. <laughs> but right now. I am loving this part of my life right now. So it, it's, it's been something I've carried with me. She's, she just turned 18. So it's been something I've carried with me for 18 years to, to tune in when you're like, wait a minute, I noticed something feels good. Let me savor this moment. Mm -hmm. And then you want to find it again. Yes. Yeah. And you know what you're looking for. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It's no no longer this nebulous, like, I just want to be happy. I just don't want to feel bad. Usually most people, it's just an absence of feeling bad. They don't know what the other side feels like or remember what it feels like. That's that. Those are some good words. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about 
how we can get in touch with you and how people can get a hold of you and hear more from you because I know they're going to want to hear more from you. Sure. So you mentioned the podcast earlier, that's called Conversations with Christy. Um, and that is, you know, everywhere you can find podcasts, it's it's there. And there's, you know, I, the, I started it because I wanted to start having the conversations that people weren't having. <laughs> and so there's topics like grief and money and relationships and, you know, and right this season, we've done a lot of um, how are you, how are you a working mom and balancing that with your kids. Um, but I'm also on Instagram. It's just my, my first initial and then last name, C Ritz King. And I have two, I have a website called reinventionfamily.com where most of the stuff I've been talking about, you'll find, I, I do parent coaching there. I do, um, I write a pretty biweekly blog. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of action on that site. And then Wonder Inc. Wellness is my therapy site. And that is anybody in New Jersey that's looking for trauma or, you know, parenting help. That's where I am on there. So, so. if you are not in New Jersey, yes. um, you can still see them as a coaching client. Yes. I, and I do. That's uh, some of what I do is the non non New Jersey, but also it's it's parent coaching is a little different than what I do in the therapy practice. So, for instance, I'm about to start a group um, that's going to have Zoom meetings. So they'll have each other, as you know, as as because I think I find groups to be so powerful in, in any realm. Yes. Um, and then I'll come on and do like a weekly live class where I talk about some parenting issue and then help them kind of. So it's a lot more guided and uh, informative, whereas therapy, you know, kind of goes where they need it to go. Sure. <laughs> so it's a little bit of both in coaching. But yes, if you're not in New Jersey, reinvention family is where you want to go because that's where all the parenting stuff is. Great. I will put all of those links <laughs> in the show notes so people can go right to the show notes and click Thank on you. it and find you right away. And look up the podcast, your podcast, because yeah. that's yeah, some great guests too. So it is a good one. Yeah. Fun. I love podcasting. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So I have three questions that I ask everybody on my podcast sure. and I'm going to ask you the first one. Maybe we even heard it. I don't know. <laughs> An event that changed you. You know, it's funny. I, I, I think so. And it's either one of the two. It's either the Hurricane Sandy issue or, or the moment with my daughter when I was breastfeeding. But I think just generally speaking, and it's so cliche, and my next one's going to be cliche too, but I really think the moment with my daughter was life-changing in that it allowed me to, to embrace motherhood in a way that I'm not sure I would have otherwise. So I love that story. Yeah. I would just like to say that just for all the women out there and all the mamas out there that yeah. I also did not experience that same like gush of love yes. that everybody says you're going to experience when you first become a mom. Yeah. And I love my kids, but I had, I had a moment very similar to that, mm -hmm. that actually was a dream. Oh, and, nice. and I woke up and I'm like, I love my son so yeah. much. And it was this moment and, and it was like a couple months after he was, I mean, I loved him, but it wasn't the gushy feeling that you hear yeah. about, you know, and, and it's true. Not everybody has that. And that doesn't make you yeah. a bad mom or a bad person right, or whatever. Right. One of the things I'm most passionate about in my work is both a therapist and a, and a coach is helping moms embrace the type of mom they are as the exact right type of mom. Absolutely. You know, like there is no stereo, there is no right way to do it. You are who you are and your kids are yours and they will, 
you know, they will grow because of you. And, you know, I just, I feel so passionate about that, helping people understand just because this is your experience doesn't mean it's right, wrong, indifferent, any of that stuff. So good. Okay. A person who changed you. This is such a hard one for me. I think I, and again, I could be cliche and say my kids, but I, but I will say I start when we moved, we moved from DC to um, New Jersey and I was a stay at home mom for the first time. (laughs) I had never, you know, I had never not had a job and I started a blog and I became friendly and I started a blog at a time where they were kind of new. Uh So I became friendly with some real, um, what, how I would describe as like powerhouse women yeah. who were also blogging because they were taking time off from their jobs as professors or their jobs as marketing CEOs or, you know, they right. were big time women or journalists. And they really showed me that you could be completely in love with your career and really in love with being a mom. And up until that point, I sort of thought maybe you had to pick one or the other. And not not that people who worked didn't love being a mom, but that people who worked didn't necessarily want to be home with their kids or vice versa. People who stayed home didn't actually want to go back to work. Like I just didn't understand. I, I, it wasn't that I didn't understand. I didn't think the rest of the world would accept a mother who wanted to work and really wanted to also bake cookies for the class Halloween party or something, you know, like right. wanted to be sort of both of those things. And these, this group of women really changed my perspective on, on that on, on the fact that you can be career oriented and driven and ambitious and also want to be that way at home too. Not necessarily, you know, everything, but you know, you might still bake or you might still have, have cookie day or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. That those are some really good lessons. Yeah, they were. I'm so grateful to those women for that (laughs) opportunity to, to learn. (laughs) Okay. The last question is a book that changed you. This is really hard because I mean, I don't know if you can see behind me, yes. but I'm surrounded by books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause so, you're a good therapist. Yeah. I will give you the most recent one because I'm not sure I have a single one that changed me, but I, mo- I recently finished a book called um, my grandmother's hands by Resma Menicam. It mm-hmm. is, it's along the lines of, I don't know if you know, um, Bessel van der Kolk's, you know, yes. body keeps the score. Yep. Yeah. So Body Keeps the Score was kind of the first one to, to, again, to open my eyes to trauma is embodied rather Uh than just this mental thing we have to talk about. Resma Menikams is through an African-American lens. Like he just looks at that same, so it's generational trauma, but the way he breaks down the book is white body trauma, black body trauma, and police body trauma. So it's a really fascinating look at how we behave based on generations worth of stuff that's happened to us and how we physically hold it inside. So I would say that it changed me in that it just opened my eyes more to, to even more in this field that I am in right now. Sure. It's fascinating. And he's Uh, a really excellent writer and storyteller. So it's an easy book to read. I am going to put that on my Amazon list because that sounds Amazing. I'm a yeah. big Vanderkolk fan. And yeah. so I've gone to some of his trainings. Yeah. Love him. So I uh I'd love to read that. Yeah, it's very good. I was looking to see if I had it on my desk, but I think I finally put it on the shelf. Oh. <laughs> it's been on my desk for like a year and a half. <laughs> so I've been referencing it, but yeah, it's a good one. Well, thank you so much, Christy, for being with me today and sure. having a conversation about joy and 
I'm excited to listen some more to your podcast and connect more with you. So thank you for having me. I'm glad you were here. That's great. Thank you. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes and you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.